Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. Welcome, Brandon Johnson. Did you have struggles with your family? Oh, plenty, Shala. Plenty. Family doesn't always want to accept things because everyone wants every struggle to be normal. Make sure you talk to your spouse first because you might expose something that you don't want anyone else to know or your spouse may not want your parents knowing that they're the infertile one. So the most important part of this journey is learning how to work together because it's not an individual concern, it's a couple's concern. And infertility is probably one of the few diseases that will always be a couple's concern. That's really important because sometimes I, I hear things like, I'm here because of him, I'm here because of her. And I think it's really important to connect with your partner and know that this is a journey you're on together. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit. And hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. Fertility Journeys Life Hacks. Here's the tip of the week. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Today, I want to speak about something I'm sure many of you have experienced, something called toxic positivity. But aren't we supposed to be positive? Have you ever shared with someone your experience on the fertility journey, and then they turn it around to say, I'm sure it will happen. Just relax. Just be optimistic. Don't give up. Nothing but good vibes. You should just be grateful for fill in the blank, right? How small did those words make you feel? It's as if they're saying, nope, I can't deal with your feelings right now. Too much. And suddenly you feel invisible. It is scenarios like this that unfortunately keep so many women from sharing their stories about their infertility journey, from speaking about their painful losses, and makes you just feel more alone. And often we don't even share these scenarios with our own family members, right? The people that should be the ones to comfort us the most sometimes don't have the responses that we want to hear. And then you keep those true feelings bottled up inside because you're afraid of being judged. You're afraid of your feelings being rejected or not really valued. So what is toxic positivity exactly? Last year, I listened to a Brene Brown podcast with Dr. Susan David. And Dr. David defined toxic positivity as a forced false positivity. It may sound innocuous on the surface, but when you share something difficult with someone and they insist that you turn it into a positive, what they're really saying is, my comfort is more important than your own reality. And isn't that what we're dealing with here? You're dealing with a difficult situation like infertility or loss, and the person really doesn't know what to say, doesn't understand what you're going through, and doesn't really want to 
deal with it at that moment. So instead, they hit you with the good vibes only. Be positive. Just relax. I'm sure it will work out. In that podcast, the other thing that really struck me was she said, imagine that you wrote down your emotions on a piece of paper. The overwhelm, the anger, I'm fearful, I'm hopeless. And now someone tells you, just turn that piece of paper over and tell me why you're grateful and why you have so much more than others. And this is supposed to make us feel stronger. But in fact, this practice makes us feel more fragile. It's really important that we pay attention to our feelings and not try to push them away or put on a, quote, happy or, quote, brave face. That's what so many of you are doing right now. I encourage you to share feelings with those who feel like a safe place for you to share. And that's, I think, why so many in this community find others who are dealing with infertility online, on social media, because perhaps in your own life, you may not have someone like that who really understands, even though they're your mom or your sister, they don't get it at all. And if you're someone listening and you have someone in your life who's struggling with infertility and you realize that perhaps you've used toxic positivity in speaking with a loved one, what you really need to do is let them know that they're not alone and that you're there to listen and support them. Ask them if they want to talk about it. Respect their boundaries if they say no. Show them compassion and let them know that they're safe with you and allow them to feel what they're feeling. Don't judge or try to push positive emotions onto them. But if you're dealing with these feelings, I encourage you to find that safe space. Speak about your feelings openly with someone. And if you're having trouble finding that, find a therapist to work with or at the bare minimum, journal if you can. To be able to have a place where you can share your feelings openly without judgment. If you're going through any of these things right now, I see you, I hear you, and you're not alone. Thanks for joining me today. The infertility community has a lot of space for female partners. On social media especially, it's really dominated by women. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of space for men that are struggling on the infertility journey. I brought a guest on today who I found on social media, who's one of the few who are really focusing on the male journey, which I think is so, so important. It's very rarely talked about. So welcome, Brandon Johnson. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Shala. It's good to be here. I was so excited to find you because, like I said, most of social media really is for women. And there's very few men who are on social media showing support for men who are on the journey. And I know you are a therapist, so that's even more important that you're on there supporting mental health of men that are on the journey. How did you decide to get on social media? You know what? It was a whirlwind. So if I can start with my own journey. Yes, please. I started this journey in about 2013. We were trying for a couple of years after we had graduated and got married, and it just wasn't happening. After my wife was tested and she came back normal, I finally got tested about six months later, and I found out I had spermia after all of the tests. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how do I get help with this because I was struggling. And part of my job is to help people who are struggling. 
So now you have this person who's struggling with my own life, and yet I have to help people through theirs. And I wanted to see a therapist, and I couldn't find one who wasn't focused on male infertility. It was a lot of space for females, but no one dealing with men. And that's kind of what led me to add male infertility to my practice with therapy. After that, I was like, how do I reach these guys? So I started with working with Resolve. And through Resolve, I put something out on Instagram. And I was like, okay, let me see how this is going to work. Because I was afraid. I was afraid and I was still going through it at the time. But I'm like, I got to help other people because it was so lonely and so painful to go through it myself. And I really wanted men to know that there's support and there's someone out here who wants to help um, after going through my journey. And so after doing Instagram, it began to ease up once I started. Once that momentum shifted and you're used to it and people start reaching out to you, asking you questions and being like, hey, I got this. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I can do this. And I think it was an, an event and resolve that really helped me to see when I went to um family planning conference. And in that conference, they had a male panel. And that male panel was full of men, but no one was in front. Their wives had trouble um, <laughs> getting pregnant or holding on to the baby. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I have to do this. It's no longer something I can just play around with, but I have to do it because men are out here and we're afraid to speak up. And if my story allows other men to feel comfortable and whole again and restore marriages and relationships, then let me be used in that way to help others and realize that we're not alone in this. That's really wonderful that you're doing that. I'm sure it was quite difficult for you at first to decide to be vocal with your story because it's not something that often men talk about, as you said, right? People don't expect men to speak about it, which is unfortunate. There's plenty of men out there who need the support, who need the help. Why do you think it's difficult to find men and be able to speak about this? The difficult part is the society's view on men and how we view men to begin with. We're just now being able to come out and express ourselves and our feelings. And it's hard enough to do that when you're feeling depressed or anxious or any other diagnosis that you can possibly have. But when it comes to infertility, it is now saying that I can't even have children. Am I less of a man? Do I deserve to be here? And it's that depression stage that keeps us down and question our ability to be a person at this point that makes it hard to reach out. And unfortunately, men have always had trouble reaching out. So that trend will continue once they realize that they're fertile. And they'll try to go through it alone and say they're okay or they're supporting their wives and that they can handle this. But the reality is that 
they need someone to talk to. And so hopefully my platform can be a buffer to offer that conversation. And knowing that it's in private will help encourage them to also seek help. You're out there now really supporting others, which is so wonderful and so needed. But how did you find the support for yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. I had a cousin who was going through an infertility journey of their own, him and his wife. And he kind of pushed me and helped me through it, even though he wasn't the one infertile. Because they were going through the same struggle, he was able to give me some perspective and how he felt just as a man and as a husband. And it was like, he's the one who pushed me to get tested. I got tested and I have children. What's his words? It's mm-hmm. just that him and his wife didn't have children together. So it really allowed me to sit back and see things from a different perspective and use help for support because anyone else I tried reaching out for support with they did not understand the journey. Yeah. I think that's one of the difficult things is that you may have a support system. It could be family. It could be friends, but they don't have an understanding of what it means to be on the fertility journey. And sometimes some of the things that they may say or the advice they may give can actually be really hurtful. Even though they don't mean it, it can be hurtful, right? I don't know if you told your family about your journey and if that's something you decided to do. Did you have struggles with your family? Oh, plenty, Shala. Plenty. Family doesn't always want to accept things because everyone wants every struggle to be normal. And infertility was the first time that this has been talked about openly within my family. After my journey, I found out there were others who struggled to have children. Mm-hmm. But I was the one out there talking about it and saying, this is the problem we have. This is the reason. And, you know, I remember him saying, you're okay, you're not fine, or we don't have that problem in our family. Mm-hmm. And why, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And even my education being thrown back in my face. So there was plenty of times where family just gave their retorts and they weren't always so kind. And you have others who were kind and start telling the problems that they had. Um, and unfortunately, some of it comes out of ignorance. The other comes out of just not knowing. But I think if we learn to be more compassionate with each other, we're able to actually intake the pain that one is happy versus being so self-absorbed that we can get lost in our own feelings. Yeah, I mean, the family part is hard because, like you said, some out there might be wanting to tell their families because perhaps that will make it so that their family won't be constantly asking them, when are you going to have a baby? I want to be a grandma, right? Or look at so-and-so, they had a baby. And these are the things that happen over and over and over at events, but then people at the same time are afraid that, like you said, they may receive judgment or people will kind of put down the idea that, no, you're not struggling, you're fine, you're going to be okay. We don't have that in our family. 
What kind of advice do you have for someone who's struggling with the decision about telling their family about their journey or not? The advice I have is to start slowly. Discuss it with your spouse first and decide what you want to tell and what you don't want to tell and what's sacred to the couple. After that, find that person that you can really trust. Once you have that person you can really trust and open up to, it kind of leaves the door open to begin telling other people. But be careful who's in that trust circle because not everyone has your best interests. And just go slowly in who you're going to tell and who you're going to trust because some people can use your journey for another rumor mill or just conversation or gossip. And that's the unfortunate part. So really find that person you trust and then find your next level of people that you trust before you go into telling everyone. I think that's wonderful advice because yes, unfortunately, not everyone in your family circle is gonna be super supportive and that may end up being painful for you in the future while you're already going through a lot of, you know, potentially grief and trauma. And you mentioned really discussing it with your partner before you decide. How did you stay connected with your wife and come to kind of decisions together about things like speaking to the family or how you're going to proceed on the journey? Can you speak a little bit about your connection with your wife during this time? I wish I can say it was great. But during the time, I was disconnected from her. And it was more so her trying to find out answers and how to help me through the process. I think it was on a road trip. And we actually just started talking about it and how to talk about it. Because at that point, my cousin, a few people in my family knew, but it started creating some drama within that relationship also and letting her know how painful it was to have people so close to you. And now they're gossiping behind your back. I had to let her know how I was feeling. And that opened the door to actually start connecting and talk about what we actually want to tell people, how do we tell people, and who do we tell? Because our parents knew. Her mom really supported her. My mom um, supported me. But there was just that communication that we had to have of even do we limit things with them and how much they know or how much pain we're actually going through and mm -hmm. trying to have a baby. Yeah, I think it's hard, especially like your parents, they don't want to see you going through anything or struggling. And so it's like, how much do you let them know? Like you said, obviously you're going through a tremendous amount of pain and emotional turmoil. So I think that's a personal decision. I don't know if you would agree. Each case is different. Everyone has a different bond with their parents. It could be different with your mother or your father, and you might have a, a different discussion depending on your relationship. Yes. And that's why I say, make sure you talk to your spouse first, because you might expose something that you don't want anyone else to know just right, in trying right. to help vent or your spouse may not want your parents knowing that they're there for the one. So 
the most important part of this journey is learning how to work together because it's not an individual concern, it's a couple's concern. Mm-hmm. And infertility is probably the one of the few diseases that will always be a couple's concern. Yeah, I think that's really important because sometimes I hear things like, I'm here because of him, I'm here because of her. It's really important to connect with your partner and know that this is a journey you're on together and to really support each other and not have the one partner who might have the infertility diagnosis really feel more isolated than they may be feeling already. Exactly. You mentioned that your wife was really the one that was trying to bring you in closer and get you to open up. What kind of things did she do to support you and to really encourage you to be open with her about this? I think we did an argument because I was not budging at the time. I was kind of stuck. And she mentioned that I need to see a therapist. And I said, I've tried. There's no man therapist or no one who deals with men. And in that argument, I said, um, you know what? Let's get divorced. That way you can go have your family and I'll just deal with this problem by myself. And when I said that, the argument stopped instantly. And it became a moment of um, grief because I was already sitting on the floor and she got down on the floor and hugged me and told me that she didn't marry me because of the infertility, because neither one of us knew but she married me because of the man that I am, and she loves the man that I am. That's beautiful. It is, and it was. It opened up a new outlet where now I can talk to her about it and let her know my feelings and when I'm hurt and when I'm bothered, and even out at events. And it also gave me a new pathway to see things through her perspective, such as for some odd reason, Everybody seemed to have gotten pregnant while we were struggling. And all the baby shower invitations were like, are you okay going to this one? Do you need a break? Do we need to go somewhere else or say something? Do I need to take the blame so that you don't have to conquer these feelings and all? And sometimes she would go, sometimes she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But it gave us this new pathway and line of communication to be able to actually share and talk about infertility in a way that I ignored prior to this meltdown of trying to build a family. She realized that you were really hurting in that moment, right? That you had been holding all of that in because like you said, often men are supposed to be strong. We're supposed to not show your emotions. And so, you know, I think that was wonderful what she said to you really to help you to realize that, you know, like you said, she wasn't there just because of maybe having a family or try. Of course, that was your guys' goal, but she was there because of the man that you are, right? And this didn't make you less of a man. So I think that was really wonderful. So no, it helped me a lot. A few weeks after that, we were driving. I said, no person should go through this alone. It's like, this is hard. And the journey just feels so lonely. It feels like you're in this 
you're on this island. And of course, I don't have to talk about how long the journey is. But again, it's another reason it made me branch out into finding ways to try to help men through it, men and couples. And women on occasion, I do get women, mm-hmm. but definitely help them through this pain and process. Now, you mentioned that you waited about six months before you got tested. And your wife went through all the testing and you waited. What were your concerns about going to get tested or why do you think you hesitated initially to get tested? Oh, I got to be honest. It was all ego. It was all ego. I have a really big family. And before this, no one has had trouble having children. My assumption is, why would I? Right. Right. And due to my old arrogance, I allowed her to get tested on her own. And I kind of just sat back and we just kept going. And it was in realizing that my wife wanted to get, she wants to get tested again. She's been tested twice. Nothing's wrong with her. All her levels come back normal. Maybe I need to jump in this fight so it won't be so lonely. Because now she's starting to question. She's starting to search the internet and look for support groups and things of that nature. So Facebook groups, resolve groups. And I said, okay, I cannot sit back any longer. And, you know, it possibly could be me. And I just had to. But ego was the thing that stopped me initially. When you got the results and you realized that, you know, you had a male infertility diagnosis, what was going through your mind during that time? Actually, I was in denial. And so, of course, they go with the uh, comments and the doctor's role. And that doctor referred me to another doctor and said that if he can't resolve it, then you are, you'll be infertile. Mm-hmm. He was a little blunt. I didn't like it at the time, but I appreciated it. So I went to that doctor and I had two more sperm analysis and another ultrasound. And he said, you just stop producing. And there was the offer of a biopsy. Mm-hmm. However, the biopsy wasn't guaranteed of 100%. Yeah. And so I didn't do the biopsy. And I just kind of took his word for what is truth plus experience. And I cried at a restaurant right after that. My wife and I went to try to get lunch. And... I'm not a crier, but I cried in public and unashamed and said, we'll figure this out. We'll walk this journey and see how we're going to build our family. If you could go back to that time now, knowing what you know, all your experience, what would you tell Brandon when he received the diagnosis? Um, I would say that Life isn't about the diagnoses we have. It's about how we handle the experience. Yeah. 
how we handle the experience is more important because we were able to adopt our son and that's been a beautiful journey as well and you still go through parenthood um i would tell myself not to be so hard on myself and as well as probably be more open and not so close thought and try to talk to others and try to get the word out a little bit sooner than i did so what I had done on Instagram, YouTube, it was started at the end of my healing after I was okay to actually talk about it. But often I wonder how much of that was too much time in my own head mm-hmm. and time I could have actually gotten out and reached out to other men and helped them. I imagine that it probably took you a lot of time to, and I'm, I'm sure this is something that's ongoing, unfortunately. The trauma and the grief of having to, it's a loss, right? So grieving the loss of the journey that you thought was going to be, right? How did you personally handle that grief with you and your wife? I think one of the other issues is you grieve differently, right? Men often could be grieving differently from women. And sometimes that can create conflict as well because it looks different. It does. My wife is really outgoing. And so for her, a lot of times, it didn't seem as if she was grieving from my perspective. But at the time, I was also depressed and I was starting to give up on, I was starting to give up on life. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go to work, but I knew I had to work because I didn't want to lose my house. And not losing my house was more important than my depression at the time. Right. If housing was free, I would have probably quit work. I lost um, my faith. So I didn't want to go to church anymore. And I would do things to be late or try to avoid it. And the sad part about that part is I was the head usher, so I needed to be there early. And then I started dropping out of things. And looking back, I see her grieving process now and how she wanted a family, but she also wanted to maintain my marriage. And I wanted to maintain my marriage, but didn't know how. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you lost your faith and you said that you were active in your church. Yes. How did you get back? I thank God. He put people in my life that wouldn't let me quit. There were a lot of key people who didn't necessarily understand what I was going through, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't let me give up on being the person that I was. So a lot of them reached out to me at the time. There was a lot of coffee times. There was a lot of lunches and really just helping me to have another avenue to talk to or talk things through with. And those people became really supportive in our lives. And then some of the church people started talking about their infertility journeys, their adoption stories. One couple I'm thinking of a particular struggle for five years. Mm-hmm. And the minute they were going to adopt, they only sent me out pregnant. Mm-hmm. And these stories became so prevalent and helping me hold on and encouraging me that it rebuilt my faith in God and realized what he has helped me with. 
and help me through. Because Shala, without him, I don't know where I will be. Yeah. It was not an easy path. Yeah, I can only imagine. Do you think that your faith ultimately and still it's helping you to continue on? It is, because through that faith, it, it allowed me to, you know, start the Instagram account, do the podcast, do YouTube, and ultimately change or readjust my practice into really focusing on infertility and letting the other things that I specialize in um, kind of take the back row. I mean, I still do it, it's still right. fun. Right. Um, but infertility is still what everyone needs to hear about. In in reading the Bible, you just realize how the stories are passed along and how they're told and how much we need each other and to express this, that we're not going through this alone. So through faith and love, we continue to develop each other and really show each other our own pain while helping others, which a pastor, though one of my supervisions, he said we're wounded healers. We have our own scars, but we can ultimately still help those heal from theirs as well. Yeah, I think that's so true. I I'm sure you felt that you doing this was helpful in your healing, but I would like to hear it from you doing the work on Instagram, working with Resolve, do you feel that that's helped you with your healing? It has. And it's made me take a stand. Like, I've, I've never seen myself being able to take this stand in my life. But for some reason, after that first year at Resolve, and seeing that the entire panel was all men who were fertile, I was like, wait, nobody represents me. Who's the infertile guy? Who's the guy that knows what other people in this audience are going to do with it? So I reached out to the Resolve coordinator and said, can I be on the panel next year? There were no infertile men, and yet we have a perspective. So there's like this charge, this, you have to stand up for it and stand up for other men and help be the voice of other men who aren't quite ready to tell everyone that they're infertile just yet. Mm -hmm. and the experience of Resolved has helped that a lot. And just being there in that second year when I was on a panel and realizing how many men were actually infertile and had trouble, it was amazing. And it's like, yes, I can help you. We can go through this. Let's uh, not go through this alone because I know how alone you feel. Um, I think that like you said, not everyone's going to be able to share and some will never be able to share and that's okay. But, you know, you being out there and hopefully other men will see other men who are able to share will help them to feel less alone because like you said, it, it can be very lonely. And so I think the work you're doing really is, is amazing. And I really commend you on that. Thank you. How did you and your wife make the decision to adopt? Adoption was nothing new for our family. We had a few family members who were adopted. And so we took a trip to Atlanta. And we're just trying to figure out how we're going to build our family. 
and we've tried IUI and that failed. We went through it five times and that failed and it was emotional. Each launch was just emotional as the first. And we were deciding, should we do IUI again or should we look at a different route? And so we started visiting adoption centers once we got back home and we came across one agency and adoption just felt right at the moment. They didn't put too much pressure on you. It was um, really a, we're going to help you if you want to go through it and we'll make the process as easy as possible but we're not going to force it go through it and we're not going to put all these restrictions on you. And so after meeting with that adoption agency, it, it felt right and it felt like it was the right decision, which allowed us to continue on to the adoption process. You know, another piece also, there may be fewer that are dealing with infertility that speak often about adoption and it can be a wonderful path to parenthood. So I'm also glad that you are speaking out about your decision to adopt. How did you decide to, like, like you said, you had gone through multiple IUIs and unfortunately those were unsuccessful. At what point did you know that was the end of trying through treatment? The pain. So each loss felt like a death. I think only one of them actually took, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And we thought that would be the one, and then it wasn't. So each loss feels so disheartening when it's a negative. Or you're buying countless pregnancy tests, and yeah. they're all negative. And you've gone to doctors and taken blood tests and follow-ups. And it became such an emotional path that we had to step away from it because that meant something just wasn't meant or wasn't right. Mm -hmm. So we, we talked about trying it again, mm -hmm. but those were painful and sleepless nights. Many tears were shed. Yeah, I think unfortunately a lot of people may decide to you know, stop their fertility journey, like you said, because of the pain or the disappointment, loss, grief, that is really, unfortunately, the most common reason for couples or women or men to stop the journey. And I think that's why it's so important that you are out there supporting men, because the mental health piece of the fertility journey is somewhat forgotten, right? We, yes, we ignore We look at it after the fact. I mean, I find it very unfortunate. And I think that that also stems from the idea, even in, in general, for someone who's dealing with depression or anxiety, we don't reach out for help until it's very far gone, right? When we think we're at our last, the rock bottom, then we know we need help, as opposed to working with someone along the way. Right. I'm sure you would agree that it's if anyone who's going through fertility journey, the best would be for them to reach out to someone to support them with the mental health piece early on. Yes. When it comes to infertility therapy, I almost think it needs to be a prerequisite before going into the artificial reproductive 
techniques depending on which one you want to use. Mm-hmm. We don't know how emotional on the road is until we're on it. Yeah. Because of that, I feel it should be a prerequisite to learn how to cope, to learn how to deal with the grief and loss of an IBF or IUI failure, or even an adoption failure. Right. None of those things should be taken for granted, no longer as a blessing. And it's the same way with anxiety, depression. We can't wait to that big explosion or until we have panic attacks that we decide that we need to see someone or to the moment we can't leave the house and develop agoraphobia. Right. Because now we're so depressed where we don't know how we start our lives. And so the mental health piece is just really helping people to develop the coping skills to deal with the stress of it and learning how to restart and saying it's okay and that we need a reset. This is our new identity. Mm -hmm. This is our new process. It changed. Life is fluid and we can't be so rigid in life. I agree. I think that's one of the most important things in all aspects of life is just kind of being open and being flexible to the idea of getting help, even that wasn't what you planned. What advice do you have for couples to get on the same page about treatment? You spoke about it's hard to make the decision. And sometimes the male or the female part of the couple may have a different idea about which direction they want the treatment to go. How do you recommend getting on the same page? I recommend scheduling these talks, infertility talks, because other than that, we'll talk about it daily, and somebody's becoming overwhelmed and don't want to talk about it. So if we learn to actually schedule it, it helps create this boundary, yet safety net of how to discuss infertility and when it's safe and when I'm just overwhelmed. But it has to be done and then learning about your partner, what you guys have accomplished and what are your goals, how to get back on one accord. Because before there's a child, you're still a married couple. Right, right. And you still have to reestablish yourself and reestablish your foundation. So start understanding and learning each other. How does the journey is affecting you before you try to resolve how to get the child here? Because if you get the child here too soon and you have not begun to talk to each other, then the child is just going to grow up and pay on it. But you really schedule out the time and talk about the effects of infertility and how it affects each one of you. And that you're both handling this in two different ways. You will get to the point in which you are able to talk about it more freely and open with each other. That's a wonderful point because I think sometimes we want to just skip ahead to get to the end goal and we missed really taking care of ourselves along the way and taking care of ourselves as the couple that we started with, like you said. Exactly. So I know that you have a coaching program that's called Barren Battles. Can you speak to us a little bit about it? Yes. Barren Battles is an eight-week program in which I walk couples through the grief and loss of infertility. We'll start with getting on one accord. Again, reestablishing that foundation. Then we jump into the actual grief and loss of infertility and how it's affecting you. And also the last step is family planning 
and what's the right path for you? And how do you know when it's the right path? So it's an eight-week course. I work with couples. I have a few openings now if anyone's interested. Just go to my website. The link is on my Instagram bio or infertilityisinferior.com. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. So anybody who's listening who wants to get that information, that will be in the show notes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then we really just sit down and discuss the R part to the journey. And I help build coping skills through different worksheets, activities, suggestions on what to do to get rid of the stress, how to ease the depression over time, how to manage anger, how to get through the denial stage. That's a really hard one. And how to trust in your physician, build that relationship so that you don't go through the denial stage longer than you should. Because uh, it's a matter of time. Let's shortcut how long the pain has to be or how it has to be before you choose the route that you want to take in life. Yeah, I think that's amazing that you're doing that program because ultimately it would be great if someone could work one-on-one with you or another therapist in their area. But the fact that you have this program really gives more people the chance to be able to access support. So that's really great. I'm so glad that you have that. Thank you. So often in the fertility journey, we postpone joy, right? We don't do anything for ourselves or ourselves as a couple or enjoy anything. It's almost like we're not allowed to feel any joy or do anything that we once liked doing together. What kind of things did you do Maybe that's something that you had a hard time with or struggle with. What are the things you did then or what are the things you do now to try to cultivate joy in your life? We really like traveling and exploring new areas and exploring new cultures and people and finding the beauty in that. So we traveled a lot prior to adopting our son. These days, I learned that nothing is promised and everything is so short. And time moves extremely fast and not want to take things for granted, value the things that are most important to you. And they don't have to be big or grandiose. And you cultivate joy in that way. I cultivate joy now by taking time to make sure I go outside with my son, at least daily. Mm -hmm. And we're outside and we're on a walk or we're at the park or make sure that the entire family is outside or on another adventure like we went camping early in the summer as our way to calm down and get back in tune with ourselves and nature. But really realizing what's important to you. Once we realize what's important to us, we are able to get that joy back in our lives. On top of that, also started picking up my pen and write poetry again and getting back into some of my old hobbies and wanting to try some new ones. That's great. Do you have any last words of wisdom or anything that you want to leave the audience with? The last thing I want to say is many people have walked this path of infertility for many years. I talk about it a lot and male infertility existed before I did and before I started speaking about it and before others have started speaking about it as well. 
You don't have to be on an island, but reach out to someone. We're stronger together. The more we feel alone, the more depressed we become, the more lost we feel, and the harder it takes to recover. So we are stronger together. I would love if you reach out to me, but definitely reach out to someone. And don't feel like you have to walk this path alone. There are men and women who understand your journey and would love to help you through it. Thank you so much, Brandon, for being here today. I really, really appreciate you for being so open and candid about your experience. I know that it's going to help so many who are on this journey who might be feeling alone. No problem. Thank you, Shala, for inviting me and having me. Of course. Where can listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram at Brandon dot or period therapist. YouTube at the same handle, Brandon dot or period therapist. And also my website, which is infertility isn't inferior dot com. Please connect with Brandon on Instagram and his YouTube channel. Check out his course, Barren Battles. If you are struggling, please check all of the information that he has out there. He's a wonderful resource for anybody who is dealing with infertility. Thanks again, Brandon, for being here. No problem. Thank you, Shala. And hopefully we'll be able to do this again in the future. Yes, I would love to. The Fertility Journeys podcast. Thank you for listening today. Episodes of Fertility Journeys drop every week. Follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys podcast. Today I have Dr. Jessica Chen, who's going to talk to us about acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, how it helps fertility. There's a saying in Chinese medicine, where the mind goes, the qi flows. And qi in Chinese medicine is about energy flowing in our system. So if things are stuck and not moving, disease arises from that. So mental health is so important. The acupuncture helps even out your sympathetic system. So that's why it's really helpful in just calming your stress down. So when your mind feels relaxed, then your body actually starts relaxing. When your body's relaxing, then it could function better and it could actually work better. Acupuncture releases endorphins to help decrease stress yes. too. And meditation and combined too is really helpful. So that's why acupuncture is so helpful for stress, mental state, and also just coming in here talking to somebody a lot of times women that are going through this feel really alone. So having that outlet too is very, very helpful. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.